0: All right, if you have a Bible with you, either in print or uh, on your phone there, um, we're going to jump into Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, but before we do that together, I'd love for you to stand and uh, open your Bible to Romans 15 verse 13. Uh, as my friend Pete Gregg always says, you might be delighted to know that the Bible is now available in print, <laughs> just, just good news. Uh, Romans 15 verse 13, what I'd love for you to do is just to stand uh, together, and uh, we're going to read this over one another, so I'd love for you to grab somebody, just uh, put your arm around them, round their shoulder, and just read a blessing, or if it's male, female, you might just want to stand near one another and say it up. May the God of hope. Yes. Wonderful. All right, here it is. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this conference has been all about the power of the Holy Spirit And one of the ways that we recognize His presence among us and intention towards us is that we become people who increasingly dwell in hope. So you can go ahead and um, take your seat there. And uh, we recognize that the outcome of our faith is, is this prevailing hope that when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says that suffering produces perseverance. And then what does he say? Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And that the final destination is hope, that God's intention for our lives is that we would be people of astonishing hope. And my goodness, do our cities ever need in these days people of hope? Uh, was there ever a, a time when we needed hope more? People moving and operating in the power of expansive hope, the power of prevailing hope, and particularly in your city. It's been a joy and an honor to be around the last couple of days. And I just deeply recognize that anytime you see people queuing outside of um, shops for coffee, that's a sign of a community that needs hope right there, isn't it? That's not a good sign. That's like a, a, a legal addiction or something. I don't know what it is, but that's it's a sign that people need something more to live on, something more to live for, and um, all teasing aside, it's just this recognition that uh, God is doing something in your community, in your church, that is increasingly bringing hope to your city. And I believe particularly, and I don't want to lean too far into this tonight, Uh, you can pick up uh, the tape from this morning on, but I believe particularly in the area of compassion, there's an uprising of hope that God is birthing in Bridgetown for those who are in the margins and the fringes of culture and society, and that God's compassion is landing in those areas. And so you're going to see your church in the next few years, it's not going to look exactly the same. The Lord is going to bring some of His friends and introduce them to you, and they are not The project, they are our partners. They're the people that we get to run with. And so it may well be that uh, some people coming to the evening service have their Fred Meyer's cart. I said it right. Fred Meyer's cart at the back, and they look a little different, and they think a little different, and they smell a little different. And as they come in, give them the seat of honor. Give them the front row and the second row. Don't hang them out the back or hide them away. Bring them in, because they are the Father's friends, and He loves it when His friends meet His friends. You're going to see this uprising in your center of justice. The Lord is going to give you favor to the measure that you care for the poor. To so the measure that you care for the poor. And he's going to bring nations. It's already happening. He's going to continue to do that. And it takes a brilliant mind to believe that God can clothe people in their right mind. And it takes a tender heart to believe that the Lord can um, heal the brokenhearted. And it takes a willing spirit to see the spirit of fear broken over a community and the spirit of power, love, and soundness of mind begin to grip Portland. And uh, I just believe that's something the Lord wants to do. It's brilliant to be in a city that is quite quirky and independent and unique. And we're going to lean into the text in a moment together. Uh, but one of the images I had today that I uh, feel safe enough in this environment, partly because, uh, well, it doesn't matter why. I feel safe enough in this environment is uh, years ago, I saw in, in uh, the first service today like a safety pin. Do you know what that is? Like a, like a large safety pin and I, and I kind of felt the Father's joy in that moment. That uh, For me, I, I recognized safety pins from, like, nappies years ago. You would tie them, put them that way. You're like, really, dude? Yes, really, really, in that. And, and just that it would be a sign of something hidden. And yet nowadays, people wear safety pins in their noses. <laughs> and you're the kind of city that wears safety pins in your noses, right? That's your kind of city. You're like, yeah, we are unashamedly, unapologetically, uh, ourselves, and we don't mind if others find that a little bit quirky or different. The safety pin is going in the nose. (laughs) Uh, And I say that by way of encouragement because I believe that same Spirit, when combined with the Holy Spirit, creates a community of astonishing compassion, prevailing hope, and deep boldness. If you can learn to be as... uh, I don't know the word, less timid around the Holy Spirit as you are around the safety pin. If you can take the safety off of that and start, like, just whatever, the analogy begins to tail off, doesn't it? <laughs> Put the Holy Spirit in your nose. It just, it just tails off, tails off. I told you I was tired. Uh, but you get the idea, this unapologetic partnership with him and leaning into him. I really believe that'll bring significant encouragement to you and to your city. We're witnessing this in my home church right now at the Vineyard in Anaheim, and it's this beautiful community who have seen remarkable things. The book that John Mark referenced, Power Healing, was written by John Wimber, who's the founding pastor there, and it's just this remarkable church who would travel the earth and bring renewal to churches and see demonstrable acts of kingdom power, all manner of kingdom activity. But for the last 20 or so years, it's been in, in uh, decline. And it's just beautiful then to watch when the Lord restores hope to a people. It's, it's a stunning, humbling thing uh, to watch. And also, we get a picture of that in Orange County with the, uh, the hills are normally brown because it's so sunny. Isn't that painful? (laughs) lived in Ireland all my life. I did not know, well, not all my life, 20 years. I did not know this was even available. (laughs) But after two days of rain, they turned green. And again, it's just this beautiful picture of hope. And the Lord is raising you up as a citadel of hope in these days. And part of becoming people of hope and sustained hope is that we learn to overcome the things that would sabotage hope in our lives. And one of those things is what we're going to look at tonight. It's this whole area of disappointment and dealing with it in our life so that we can remain continuously hopeful. The psalmist said, but as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And we want to be that kind of people. So we're going to jump in together. Matthew chapter 11. and. says this, verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus… Let me just grab it up here, actually. Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And this is, this is John the baptizer. This is the one who was the first to recognize the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. He saw him come upon him like a dove. You remember at Jesus' baptism. And, and he's this guy with incredible prophetic gifting who moves in the Holy Spirit. And here he is in this prison of disappointment. And he's asking the question, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Or should I expect someone else? He's having this crisis of faith, this crisis of of hope, and he's asking the question, should I really continue to give the rest of my life to this? Is this worth me dying for? Jesus, are you really the one, or should I expect someone else? And it's understandable that he would be that way because he's in prison, and so far Jesus is doing whatever Jesus is doing in the cities and the towns, And John's in prison, and he can remember Jesus clearly saying that the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus to bring good news to the poor and to bring freedom for the captives or for the prisoners. So Jesus said, I'm going to bring freedom for the prisoners, and there's John in prison, and freedom ain't coming. And he's wrestling with the pain in that, and he's trying to process it, and he says, "Is is this how it's going to be? And in that moment, He's kind of thinking, I'm not sure this is the kingdom I signed up for. This is not kind of going the direction that I thought it would. And he's living that kingdom tension of the kingdom being truly here, but not yet fully here. This moment of absence and presence in our faith. These times when God seems hidden from us. And John is right in the mix of that. And so he sends his mates to say, go ask Jesus this question. So they come to him, and then Jesus gives this answer to them, verse 4. He replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And if you have a paper Bible there, I would encourage you to circle that little phrase, hear and see. Uh, You'll see it again and again in the Gospels and the book of Acts, just see and hear or hear and see. And it's just saying to us that this gospel, this story, was always designed to be seen, not just heard. That we're actually supposed to. Uh, hear the signs of Scripture and hear the signs of awe as God does what God alone can do. And we're supposed to see God at work with our own eyes. We're supposed to see the things that Jesus did through our own hands. He says, go back and report what you hear and see, the blind receive sight. It's like, yeah, do you see this happening? So it's happening in that moment. He's like, hey, they arrive obviously to ask John's question he's like, you see that blind person over there receiving sight? Tell him that's what's happening. And do you see that deaf person here who's just been healed in their hearing? Tell John that's what's happening. Tell him that lame person just walking. And he just begins to tell him. And I I don't know about you, but these things go on my list, right? That the blind seeing should be on your bucket list where you pray for them and they see. It should be up there with the vacation to Italy, right? Like it's on the list or the trip to Iceland or whatever it is. You're like, yep, that's going on the list. I long to see blind eyes open. Or I long to see deaf ears open. And you just begin to posture your heart in that way. And he says, tell him this. Tell him those who have leprosy or cleanse. My father died of tuberculosis when I was about a year, year and a half old. And uh, I long for the day, Uh, I I haven't come across anyone with tuberculosis, but I know that I have a heritage there where I can pray against that disease and see that giant fall. And I cannot wait to see it fall through my heart and hands because the kingdom cleanses from disease. The deaf here, the dead are raised. We won't do that tonight. The deaf will be healed tonight uh, and have been already. Uh, The good news is proclaimed to the poor, And then he says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And he's saying, John, I can see that you're stumbling. I can see that like you're not as solid as you were in this. And John, you'll be blessed if you don't stumble on account of what I'm not doing. If you can look at what I am doing, John, and not look at what I'm not doing, you'll be blessed. It's like, here's all the things I'm doing. Yes, I'm not coming to prison and you're not getting freed, but here's all the things I'm doing. Focus, fix your eyes in this. And and John is just living that pain of disappointment. And all of us have been there. R.T. Kendall, it is, who says that sooner or later, every believer experiences disappointment with God. Like, every believer goes through it. Nobody is immune to it. It hits all of us at one point or another. It may be that uh, relative that you've been praying for, and you've been desperate to see God heal their body and uh, there's no change in that. It may be that partner that you've been praying for. You've been longing for God. You're holding on to sexual purity. You're trying to live in friendship with Jesus and freedom in that area of your life. And you're just struggling and wrestling, but you're holding on to purity in that area. And then you're looking at people around you who are making all sorts of choices in that. And it seems like God's favors upon their relationships. And you're still feeling alone and isolated and all that. And you may be disappointed with God in that area. Or maybe you're disappointed because uh, you prayed that when you went to college or whatever, your flatmates would be amazing, and you ended up with them. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's just really disappointing, God. I really… Right? There's all sorts of levels and layers that we carry disappointment with God. And R.T. Kendall says that 90% of believers who are disappointed with God, 90% of them never break through the betrayal barrier. Like they stay disappointed. It just goes deeper in them. It becomes an infection in them. John does a wise thing. He's disappointed and he just takes it to Jesus. He's like, go and find out from Jesus if I should expect this or should something else come. I want to encourage you to do that with your disappointment, to bring it before him, to pour it out before him. Jesus hears that John has been beheaded in Matthew 14. If you want to turn there, Matthew 14, 6 to 12. I won't retrace the story in it, but let me just pick up the last part of it in verse 12 there. John has been uh, beheaded, and uh, it just says this, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and then they went and they told Jesus. I don't know who it was that told Jesus. I don't know what it was they told him, uh, but I do know that John was his cousin. So, they were connected somehow, distant cousin And um, when you have news that your relative has been brutally, violently beheaded and murdered, that's a painful day, right? Those are not the days that you dream of. And so, Jesus is just trying to process what's happening with John. John is probably the one person who understood what Jesus was doing on the earth at that time. It's very clear the disciples didn't get it, did they? Like, the Pharisees didn't get it, did they? The authorities didn't get it. But John knew. He saw and Jesus is just uh, processing the pain of that. And so Matthew 14, 13 says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And I don't know what Jesus is processing in that moment, but I know for me what the challenge is often when God doesn't uh, show up in a way that I expected. It's, it's living with that pain of knowing that God could deliver, that he has power to change the situation, that he can heal, and yet he hasn't. You're like, oh man, how do I I begin to process that? God didn't open the prison door for John, and yet a few years later in the book of Acts, he does that very thing for Peter. Peter's in prison, he's about to be beheaded by Herod, and the Lord comes and an angel comes and opens the prison doors and Peter's released. It would have been a simple thing for God to do that for John, and he just didn't. And so Jesus withdraws. He's trying to get away from people in that moment. He's just trying to process the pain because I think Jesus knew that if we don't heal disappointment quickly, it becomes an infection in our hearts. Like it's okay to feel disappointed. All of us go through that. It's not okay to be disappointed, to live with disappointment in us. And the reason for that is we are called believers. And it is the most natural thing in the world for believers to believe. And when I'm living, if I'm not believing, I'm not a believer, I can call myself something else, but the very definition of a believer is someone who's believing, right? Isn't it? It's like, yeah, that's the definition of a believer, you're a believer. Then I saw her face, (laughs) right? Like, I'm a believer, not a trace. What does it say, not a trace? Okay, let's take it to the fifth. <laughs> All right. Okay, it's the very definition of of. Believers, is that we believe that our heart is postured towards faith. The Bible says the righteous live by faith. That's the very orientation of our heart. So when disappointment strikes, we've got to heal that stuff quickly and deal with it quickly. And it's okay to feel disappointed, but it's not okay to live in that and to, to have the last word. The Bible says in Matthew 14, verse 14, that when Jesus landed, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion upon them, and he healed those who were ill. And so he gets there. He's trying to withdraw, and he gets there, and there's this huge crowd, and they're there with their sickness. Anybody here, your birthday is 15th of August. It's your birthday, your anniversary, going once real quickly. If you are, don't come to me at the end and say, that was me. I will. 15th of August will be your birthday. Is this the 8th of May? Will be your death day. (laughs) Like, this is your moment. If you're going to come, come in this moment. Uh, 15th of August. Anybody, if that's you, going once, going twice. All right, I can continue. Uh, When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd he had compassion on them, and he healed those who were ill. And so he's there, and and there's this crowd around him, and the disciples are processing the disappointment of John as well. He was their friend, their mentor for some of them. They're trying to process it. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, send the crowd away. Like, this is a day of grief for us and a day of torment. This is all on the same day. The feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus hearing about John's death is the same day. That's really important. And they're like, send them away, Jesus. And that makes sense then, doesn't it? Who wants a whole thousands of people crowding around you when your heart's mourning and grieving? Nobody wants that. So they say, send them away because none of this day was in the script. None of it is what they desired. And Jesus does the most loving thing for the disciples in this moment. He calls them beyond their disappointment. And he says, Boy, send them away. I tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to send them away. What's going to happen is you're going to give them something to eat with bread you don't even have. Talk about calling people out of pain into purpose. Like, oh, can I? Like, like this is, I don't know how to say this, but I, I have huge reverence in my heart. To me, this looks like terrible pastoral care. Anyone else there with me? You're like, yeah, these people, everybody's grieving here right now, and you're going to ask them to do a miracle that hasn't been seen in the earth in at least 500, 600 years? You're going to, you're going to ask them to do that? They're going to, they're going to reach in where they have no bread and they're going to give bread to people who are hungry? And Jesus calls them that moment. He says, You give them something to eat. And what he's saying is this hey, even though you've been Im- you're not immune to disappointment, and nobody is, you don't have to be immobilized by it. The disappointment always competes with compassion. And I think it's partly why I'm teaching this tonight, because the Lord is accelerating compassion among you. And one of the enemies in that is just disappointment. It stops us reaching for more. You know, it's, uh, it's just unnatural. If you see someone in a wheelchair, it's unnatural not to have compassion for them. Would you agree? Doesn't your heart go out to them? guys are like, we're not sure. whether it really should. It really ought to, right? Like, no, we don't care at all. We just walk right by, often jogging while we go, right? No, your heart goes out to them, right? You're like, oh, gosh, your heart goes out. You see a kid with spina bifida. Your heart goes out to them. You see someone wrestling with disease. The natural outflow of that moment is compassion, and we wish we could do something for them and then disappointment kicks in and we think, no point in praying really. It's not likely to change. Nothing's likely to alter. They're likely to stay the same. And we have this kind of fight in us and I'm all too familiar with that fight and the awareness of uh, just the pain of reaching in. Like this story ends brilliantly. The reach in and bread comes out. Do you ever reach in and there is no bread? My um, A few years ago in our church in Ireland, uh, there's a lady who came on the street. She was prayed for in the streets, and uh, she had uh, liver cancer and lung cancer. She was scheduled to have an eight-hour operation with five teams of surgeons. She came to the street. Our team prayed their best prayer. A couple of weeks later, she goes into the hospital for the operation. They open her up, and there's not a trace of cancer in her body. It's a stunning, it's a stunning story. Because of that story, uh, it was the aunt of a lady in our church, and because of that story, the lady in our church best friend who had cancer started coming to her church. It's like, well, if it's Paul, and we, we've seen every, I don't know if I've said this in this service, we've seen every conceivable cancer healed. So, it was, it was common for us to see it. So, this lady comes, her name is Cheryl, and Cheryl has breast cancer. It's returned. She hasn't had it for a number of years, and it's just returned. It's returned quite aggressively. She's 39 years old, two kids, and um, we just pray our best prayers for Cheryl. We show up at our home. We uh, do everything we can. We anoint with oil. We, we're praying all our best prayers, knowing that the Lord can heal, and we've seen Him do that very thing. And uh, you can sort of see, can't you? You can see it happening, the the, the kind of decline accelerating, and uh, we began to notice that with Cheryl. We're still bringing our best prayers around it. And uh, In that moment, you're just thinking, God, she's 39, she has two kids, and I've watched God heal people in their 70s who have raised their kids, and it's gone. And I don't know about you, but I kind of think in that moment, God, if you've only got one miracle, and it's the choice between, it's just where I go, call it Scottish or whatever, um, but I think if if you're only going to heal one, wouldn't it be more merciful to heal the one who's 39 with two kids to raise than the one who's like in their 70s? You don't think like that in Portland at all, do you? All the other services did, but I can see you guys really don't. It seems more merciful. And if they do die in their 70s, could they give a legacy gift to our church and to our venue? I'm just saying how you think. I'm reflecting back to you. That is how you think. That is how you think. It's almost as though the Lord only has one miracle. can only do it for one. Anyway, we're praying our best prayer for Cheryl. And uh, the day comes, we're standing at the front of her church. I'm conducting her funeral and uh, looking into her husband, Neil's face, and he's lost. You know, like, um, yeah, she was just the backbone of the home, and he's completely lost. Uh, I'm looking into Zara's face and her brother and, and um, trying to hold it together, trying to do this funeral, and... Um, and we get through that moment, uh, about two weeks later, an elderly lady, exact same condition, breast cancer, comes to the street, and the Lord heals her instantly. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with the disappointment? What do you do with the other one? How do you process those kind of moments? And in that moment, Jesus calls the disciples to reach beyond where they've been, and he says, hey, you give them something to eat. and he's calling them to fight for faith in the midst of it. He's saying it's, it's um, we don't deny the presence of pain at all. We embrace that, but we refuse to give it the last word. It's like, I will not let it rule over me. It may be around me, but it will not rule in me. And it will not rule over me. There is a name that's above the name of cancer. There's a name that's above the name of disease. There's a name that's above the n- names of disorders. There's a name that brings healing and hope. And that's the name that I live under. And I reposition my heart. And in this moment, Jesus is almost saying to the guys, "Boys, there's two meals here. There's the meal of disappointment." of the day that we've had together where John has died and we've tried to get away and then we're just surrounded by need. And then there's the meal of what God is making available for these people around us. And it's almost like this, that that the way we'd say it at home is this, life is hard, like it's always hard. And God is good, he's always good. He's always good at turning things around. And in the middle of the heartache of life, it's never him who's sending it. It's never him who brings it. He is not the author of that stuff. But he's just brilliant at recycling. So a lot of people think because God is amazing at recycling that he sent the garbage. But he didn't. He's just wonderful at recycling. And in the middle of that, we recognize that suffering produces produces. And character produces hope. So how do you know you're a person of good character? Because the next time you see something that requires hope, your hope is fully engaged. There is not a hint of cynicism in your heart. Cynicism and hope cannot coexist. One must die at the hands of the other. And you know your character is growing, not by your number, if I can gently say it, on the Enneagram. As good as that is, I'm sure it's wonderful. (laughs) But you know it's growing if your hope is expanding. That's how you know character is forming in you, that God looks at you and He says at last there are people on the earth whose character is at a place where I can put heaven's hope on them, and they can begin to administer that hope to those around them and become ambassadors of hope in a broken culture. It takes no prophetic gifting whatsoever to see the failure of others and the failure of a city, but it takes enormous hope to go into a city beyond optimism and declare God's divine design for an area, to begin to change the labels that culture would put on a city. I live in California, and people are always saying, California, it's like liberal central there and all sorts of things. Now, you don't understand. God is writing a story right in the heart of that region, and it's beginning to come alive. It's bursting out in industries. We're seeing it in families and bodies, and I've uprooted my life from Ireland because God is doing something in the U.S. in these days, and if He wasn't, He would not have moved us, and it takes hope to see that it takes hope to see that. It takes hope to walk around Portland and believe that. And, and that's the sign, guys, if I could push you a little, that's the sign that you're becoming Christ like in your character. Yeah. Because, and if it was me saying it, you can dismiss it. You can be like, yep, it's just the skinny Scottish man from Orange County, Bayard right Anaheim. But if you truly value this book, not saying this in a guilt way, if you truly value this book and you think that Paul's writings are somewhat authoritative, then understand that character produces hope. And we are fundamentally people of hope. and I, I think the Lord wants to set us free in hope in this region tonight. So we're, we're gonna, um, I want to leave just enough time to uh, do some ministry in that, is there anything else? Let me just read one quote before I finish. It says this, Choosing a lifestyle of faith and risk is surrounded by the reality of disappointment. When we start believing for greater things, we set ourselves up for greater disappointments. Although we may wish it were not so, disappointment is part of the journey of reaching for the impossible. Contending for breakthrough in new realms of healing means working through moments of profound loss. And as you risk reaching for more, remember that history was written and altered not by those who never wavered or by those who were always certain, but by those who did not allow their questions to paralyze their actions, by those who, threw their, who though their faith was as small as a mustard seed, chose to plant that seed, those who, in addition to believing and doubting, chose to go after the impossible, knowing it would probably cost them everything. Those convinced that if they did not venture, they would remain ordinary as long as they live, And with the wind howling around their ears and the wave rising above them, launched forward, outward, and Godward. I remember the moment in our family when the winds were howling and the waves were rising. Uh, My uh, sister-in-law and her husband, uh, who now lead the church back in Ireland, uh, were at the 20-week, Point of their scan for their baby, and uh, when they got the scan back, uh, there's a condition I, I can never say it properly. It's something like encephalitis, something like that. But it basically meant her brain was growing out of her skull, and they um, said, "Look, it, like she's not, she's not going to live, and she's not going to reach full term." And uh, we prayed our best prayers. We uh, doctors were doing an amazing job. And We prayed our best prayers. We contended for healing, and. Uh, and Janet was able to carry Kara full term. And, uh, but as she was in labor, they said, look, we just want to prepare you. Doing a great job. I said, we just want to prepare you. Um, like she's only going to take a few breaths, and that'll be it. And, and of course, we heard that on the election, that, um, that we're praying our best prayers, Lord, spare her, save her, all that. And Kara did take more than a few breaths. She lived for 16 days. And uh, she was incredible grace to her family and joy to us. Um, and I'll never forget moments that the heart were never designed for. We were never designed to experience that kind of loss. But I'll never forget watching uh, my brother-in-law carry this little box with her in it and carrying it uh, to the grave. And I'm looking at him, and I tell you, it's like sacred ground. It's holy ground. When you see someone still with hope in the middle of loss, it's holy ground. This is what it looks like, to be people filled with the Spirit. And he's there and he carries her. And uh, it's just the most beautiful thing. And then to watch them pray for others whose kids need healing and to pray with no doubt in their mind that God is able to do it is a beautiful thing. They have every reason to lean out, but everything in them turned in. It's just like, Lord, that's what you do. That's character. And it's astonishing hope. And it's what we do. So we're going we're gonna to open up. I'm going to invite you just to stand where you are, if you would. Uh, I feel like I've been a little more challenging with you guys than I was with any of the others. here's what i would love for you to do just in this moment is to just ask the father this father is there anywhere in my heart right now where i'm journeying disappointment with you and just take a few moments to allow him to speak to that to allow him to say if there's any space in your heart where disappointment is lurking or hiding Or maybe maybe you don't even need to ask that. Maybe you already know, gosh, Lord, I've, I've allowed disappointment to reduce my expectation. And you're so painfully aware of those places in your soul where you are disappointed. And if tonight you know that that's you, that there's disappointment you're journeying, and if R.T. Kendall is right, that'll be a lot of us in the room right now. If you know that's the case... And just very simply, just where you are. Would you put your hand in your heart? It's like, just where you are. And In a moment, we're going to engage in a little bit of liturgy here where I pray something and you repeat it uh, after me. But first, let me pray this. God of hope, would you come? God who overturns and heals disappointment, would you come? Thank you, Father. Thank you for coming. Let your hope arise even now. We're going to pray this. I'm going to pray. I would encourage you just to pray after me if you have your hand and your heart. Father, here and now, I break my partnership with disappointment. And I no longer allow it safe harbor in my heart. I cancel the activity of the enemy that is a sign to increase disappointment and wounds. And then just for a moment, A picture, maybe if you will, just like this tree of disappointment that's in you. And Jesus just coming with his hand and uprooting that disappointment from you. Just uprooting that tree and removing it far from you. As far as the east is from the west. And just pulling it up and saying, you don't have to live with this anymore. You don't have to journey this anymore. And Again, we pray in liturgy. Father, we receive the empowerment to move beyond disappointment. disappointment. And declare our expectation that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. I want you to picture here, if you will, just like the wall that was in your heart, the wall that had disappointment written all over it. I'd like you to picture just this wrecking ball, just the Lord just smashing through the wall and Him in its place planting this tree of life in you, full of goodness, full of mercy. We just receive from you, Holy Spirit. Receive from you. And we rejoice, let's say this together, we rejoice in your goodness towards us. Goodness towards us. You are always good. You're always good. And because you are always good, always good. I, will always I will always have hope. Let's just wait in His presence for a moment. As we receive there, their, um, I want to open up an opportunity for, as we continue to linger in prayer, for those of you who are here tonight and uh, you've never opened your life to Christ, you've never surrendered your yes to Him, uh, you've never stepped into His story or allowed Him to step into your story, and you're here tonight, and that's a desire in your heart in this moment. Many others have done that today already, and that's just a desire in your heart in this moment that you want to surrender your yes to him and if that is you then what i'd love for you to do is just to simply signify that just by reaching your hand up and all you're doing in that moment is you're reaching for the one who's been reaching for you your whole life long and you're just reaching up and you're allowing um, yourself to be loved and to come home in that moment and so that's you, and tonight you're saying, yeah, I want to step into the story of God. I want to surrender my yes to Jesus. I want to open my life to Him, becoming a believer tonight. And just where you are, would you go ahead and just raise your hand wherever you are in the room. We'll take a few moments uh, just to see it. Uh, put it right up. be easier for us to see it that way. It's wherever you are. Yeah. Are there others tonight? It's wherever you are. It's tricky for me to see, particularly up there. Who's just leaning in in that way? Just raise your hand, put it right up, and we'll see it. I'm not going to call you to the front, not going to embarrass you, but I do want to take just a, a few moments longer in this. If that's you tonight, and you're surrendering your yes to God for the first time, or the first time in a long time, just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Are there others tonight? I just can't see here or here. Yeah, God bless you. See that, huh? There are others tonight. It's wherever you are. There. Yeah, there are others just where you are. I just want to take this is one of the most holy important things we can do. And I just want to take a moment more. Anyone else tonight? Your heart is thumping in your chest, and you're like, I want to do this. I'm just scared. All right, uh, that's you, just go ahead and just raise your hand. Put it right up. We're going to pray in a moment. Anyone else? Yeah. And those of you who raised your hand, would you just keep it raised for a moment or raise it again. We're going to pray. Um, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home. The Father loves you and is for you. His joy in this moment is over you and towards you. And his face is full of joy in this moment for you. And as you come to him, you might want to say, Father, I, I, I just, uh, I want to come and I want to confess that I've, I've kind of chosen a different story. But tonight I want to step into your story. I believe that you sent your son, that he died for me, that his sacrifice is enough for my shame and for my stuff and for my sin. And tonight I receive the fullness of your forgiveness, the wholeness and the freedom of your forgiveness into me. And I thank you for that now. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and give me power to be a person of hope and that you would sustain me through your hope. I know that I'm not signing up for an easy life, but I want life with you, and I want life in its fullness. As you pray that, hear him say, welcome home. Welcome home. The Bible says that there's great rejoicing in heaven when people return to the Father. How about for a moment we just mirror that joy right here, right now.